Hey guys, Page Seven and Wizard and the Bruiser are going on tour. Yes, the release, the butthole cut tour. Holden, where are we going? That's right. Starting in June, we are going to Portland, Oregon, Tacoma, Washington, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, and St. Louis, Missouri. Where can we get tickets, MJ? For tickets, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. What's that? One more time? That's lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah. Noise. We're coming in a little late because we were on tour last week, and um, while this was a good episode, it didn't spark my loins the way the previous episodes had, so you know, in my brain, out the gate, I'm like, it's not as good. <laughs> yes. Because I'm a little horny monster. I'm very glad that we are immediately on the same page about this. Usually Jackie and I have some check-in time before we record we kind of get a sense we don't we try not to spoil it for each other about how we felt about the episode but today um i have a early release day from my kids school and so i'm like we gotta record now and so we jumped right in first thing monday morning having seen each other we said goodbye to each other last friday morning in vegas somehow managed to watch riverdale uh between then and now and I watched it and I was like, this is fine. Yeah. It's I'm not I'm not mad at it, but I'm also not thrilled. But you know what? That's okay. They have come in out the gate and set our expectations so, so high, high. So because high. it's so good all of a sudden. But we have to remember it is still a network show. There's still gonna be filler some episodes that are just Laying foundation and or filler. And this was like a perfectly fine and suitable episode um, with a couple of great moments. We'll talk about the Nicole Kidman. Oh, loved it, loved it, loved it. (laughs) Couple of great moments in here, don't get me wrong. But ultimately, we figure nothing to really write home about in this episode. Right, and also... Can we just have a funeral for ourselves? For where have all the daddies gone? I hate that they have taken all of the thirst away for any of the parents. They have made every single parent just the, just not who I want to kiss. You're right. And that hurts me the most. I mean, we still have Alice Cooper. We do, and she is being, you know... Frosty as frost can <laughs> she's, be. She's being her bad self in this episode. So yes. that's kind of fun. But no, you're so right. Like I feel, especially in, the, in this episode, the more Veronica we get, the more acutely I feel the loss of Hiram and Hermione. Yes. Both of them. Oh, yes. Very much so. I miss Skeet. I miss I Skeet. Miss, of course I miss Skeet. Also in this episode, when I know I'm completely jumping ahead. Well, no, I'm jumping ahead to one of the, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off. All I'm saying is that where's Sheriff Keller, okay? Where's my Sheriff <laughs> oh, Keller? You don't, you don't Where like, is he? You don't like the Chris Cooperization of Sheriff Keller in this? Isn't Chris, no! Isn't he exactly like Chris Cooper's character in uh, American Beauty? Yeah, I, it just makes me so upset. Just like a sad, yeah. So in this episode, we get, this is like the sad homophobia episode. This is like Kevin is sad episode, which I might, 
be tolerating better if they hadn't done it to him for the entirety of the series. Like, give Kevin his his time. And again, the whole point of this season is, imagine if you had to go back to 1955 and you were as queer as you are now, which is, and it's a great way to show, like, of course there were queer people then and it must have fucking sucked. And so that was kind of like the whole point of this episode is like, Kevin is desperately sad because he is basically figuring out about himself that he's different. I don't remember if he uses the word gay in this episode. I don't think he does. He sa- no, he says he's not normal. He says and he's then he's normal. referred to as bent. Bent, and, you right. know, he's just, yes. Yeah, so so not- this is like, we get the kind of classic, um, scary um, Americana 1950s oppressive homophobia a la Chris Cooper and American Beauty. Um, and, uh, it is sad, and I don't like it. And and Sheriff Keller is just like a sad, bad dad. And I, I I'm not saying I didn't like the episode. I think I did. It is just, and I and I do think it's still like a cool and interesting project to be like, you know, look at how much it really would have fucking sucked in 1955. But yeah, it, because he found his bodybuilder magazines. Maybe he's trying to get swole, <laughs> Sheriff Keller. But it also, it was, it really was one of these episodes where I was just like, man, this is like, this is just hard. And again, I'm not saying that I don't like it or that it's bad, but it's, you know, I feel like it's just tough. Like we, I, I'm, I'm, I guess there is, there is value to being like, let's try to like really make this very real. How much, how hard this would have been in 1955. Also, at the same time, you know, we've talked about this on the show a lot, but like these stories of like horrible homophobia and the ever present constant oppression of people, of queer people throughout this country's history. Like we know those stories. Those stories have been told. I'm not always thrilled to see like another devastatingly sad story about queer people to be told, especially in this space of Riverdale where it's supposed to be a big, sexy celebration. But I get it. We got to set up. We got to set up, I guess, dramatic, <laughs> dramatic irony or sadness or tension. And I guess we'll use Kevin again. But also, can we? T- I mean, I know that I feel like every episode, I'm like, who is this girl that I see staring straight <laughs> back at me? And I feel a lot like that when I'm looking at Archie in this episode because you know what? I thought that it was really super cute. So here's the whole thing Sheriff Keller finds out that, like, obviously. Kevin's not normal because he's got a bodybuilder magazine and that and because he broke up with Betty and that he's been hanging out with strange boys. I mean, I don't think that he's cruising in the woods yet. I think that's that'll come a couple generations from now. <laughs> but Sheriff Keller forces Kevin to join the basketball team so that it will like toughen him up. And essentially they're trying to literally straighten him out. And so that's what Uncle Daddy is also doing, like, you know, mustachioed Uncle Daddy, because that's the even more evil version of regular Uncle Daddy. Fucking Uncle Daddy. Take a hike, man. Take a hike, will ya? And so Sheriff Keller essentially drops him off and is like, okay, make him not gay anymore. And Archie becomes his friend because, like, you know, the locker room talk, they're all talking about who's with the ginchiest girl and, <laughs> oh, who's ma- making it, you know, making it all go. And essentially, 
Julian, this, uh, which, okay, so you brought up, you made up the third dead triplet blossom to come back in 1955 just to be a little shithole. I know. I was like, maybe he's going to be great. Maybe he'll be fun. And I'm glad that he he looks like he's supposed to be a villain and he is a villain. Yeah, I feel I feel vindicated for how mean we were about Julian in the first episode. Yes. Like, this guy sucks too much to be on television. Yes, and I'm glad. <laughs> that we were mad at him and so they're all giving each other shit about who's lost their virginity and who hasn't and julian lost his virginity to twyla twist yes the head of the ghoulies twyla twist and when they brought up twyla twist it was like isn't she like in her 40s and hasn't she also been chased out of town after like several gang fights yes but, but not, not in 1955. In 1955, she is a professional a sex, sex worker, worker <laughs> and who has like a base, operates apparently a very consistent business out of a hotel. Such that not only does Julian Blossom know about it, but we find out later that all the dads know about it. She's just like, that's where you drop off your teenage son to lose his virginity. So this woman in her mid-40s is having sex with all these 16-year-olds. Yeah. Because they remind her they are sophomores in high school. Yeah. Sophomores in high school. Don't like it. Do not (laughs) Really? I know that, like, I get horny for all the make fuck in it because the actors are all beyond of age. But there's, I don't know why it really weirded me out that I was like, mm, I know that different time. (laughs) I know it's a different time. But it's still um, weird. Probably was still frowned upon, or at least should have. I think we in 2023 could frown upon. A grown woman having sex with teenagers in 1955 in Riverdale. Um, Yes, I am also frowning. And, you know, I just wish that they would make... Listen, we've been doing a lot of praising of Riverdale, so I feel like it's a safe space to come up with a couple of tiny complaints I have about this season, which is that I feel like Cheryl is such a villain and such a, like complex way and the whole even when this show has had its ebbs and flows even in its depths where i have not been loving the show they have always made cheryl a very complex villain she's never been pure villain and when and even when she is she's just like the most fun and interesting villain ever and i just feel like julian is just such a basic ass villain he's just like i'm a bad boy who's bad to the girls and bad to the boys and I just, I don't even, we didn't even really know enough about JJ because it's been a long time since season one and anytime we've seen him since, he's been either a corpse or a ghost. Yes, yes. Uh, coming yes. from the hereafter. Or a reanimated doll or just a, Or a reanimated doll. ventriloquist dummy, yes. yes. But Thank you, I'm sorry I called them a doll. <laughs> not a doll. <laughs> it's a puppet, it's a Jackie. Puppet. It's a puppet. It's Less a puppet. creepy, unless it's the reanimated corpse of a dead brother but um i just feel like even jason blossom is a more interesting character than julian i just want to know and i i you know what i i am going to say this i trust the riverdale writers right now i trust them i know we are in capable hands and i will bet that they are going to do something very interesting with julian it just hasn't happened yet and so right now he is just serving as like the shitty heterosexual like heteronormative gender bully where he's like bullying all the boys about their sexuality and bullying all the girls uh in a kind of like misogynistic way 
And that's basically all we get from him. And so, yeah, this episode is like Julian is bullying Kevin. Kevin's dad is bullying Kevin. And sweet little Archie, KJ Appa, who we are all this is what finally I'm attracted just to. finally in love with him. I was so in love with Archie where he's just like, what do you mean? I like movies and fashion, too. <laughs> and that's yes, so cute. <laughs> That's the premise of this episode is that Archie is like has no idea that gay people are a thing or just totally or that it doesn't wrong. care. Yeah, like completely <laughs> I indifferent. Mean, not wrong. I meant wrong, wrong at in the his, top, like right. wrong quote. Yeah. In his in his universe. And so he's just like, Why why do all these boys think that you're not like the other boys, Kev? Like and it's <laughs> And he <laughs> was so like just like not doesn't doesn't face him. And then even when he figures it out, he's also just like Great, love you guys. Oh, You're my friends. Yeah. All my you guys friends are come my friends. Eat lunch with me? And, so that, and I'm sorry to jump to the end, but I will say that even though I have no like huge feelings about this episode, I will and I did kind of like feel a little bit devastated to see it just, you know, our our queer friend Kevin being just dragged through all this awful treatment. I do love that at the end, after Archie kind of finally realizes what's happening, the way that like we end it is like Archie totally not caring at all and just wanting to be Archie and 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 be nice and help people and save people where he can and so he just comes up to Kevin and Clay who are sitting alone and Kevin is sad and Clay is like smiling and handsome and Archie comes up to them and he's like hey you guys want to come eat lunch with me and they're both like yeah, yeah Archie yeah maybe we do <laughs> and it is really sweet it's just so Ally Archie, man. Yeah, such a puppy dog. Just so like I loved that. Like at first, Jeff just like grabbed onto my thigh and was like, "Are we about to watch Archie find out what being a homosexual is?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I think that we are." But they don't quite get into it. I I I appreciate that they never get to a point where they don't show the actual like oh moment yeah. because i feel like that might have gone a little too far but <laughs> yeah. um it's asking a lot of kj at that it is it really is but he is killing 1955 archie he was meant to play this version of archie the entire time totally because there's something about his like naivete and the previous six seasons that's just enraging it's just like nobody's this stupid archie get your head out of your fucking ass and then there's something about him in 1955 where he's just like yeah of course i I'm sheltered. I've never heard of anything. Never heard of sex. Never heard of gay people. Like, and it it absolutely works for him. And it's fine. It's it's like the the wildest long game I've ever seen. I know it wasn't a long game that they were they weren't working towards this. No. I doubt they knew that this was they were where they were gonna end up. But somehow they were like, what can we do to make Archie's complete idiocy like work for him and make sense? And it is put him in 1955. 1955. We had no idea. Now this remember where we left off last week where we were watching them we were watching Archie and Betty slowly undress and then both of them their parents walked into their separate bedrooms and we all wanted to die. And this did continue into this episode, right. which of course shows that Archie is like applauded in school for what happened. And Betty is of course being completely shamed. Now this of course is the, you know, the meat, like one of, one of the meats of this episode. That's a disgusting <laughs> way of saying that Jackie. Yeah. One of the meats of this episode. Oh, it's nice and 
and drippy and juicy meats <laughs> is that we are talking about Betty having to go back to school and deal with the shame of anybody who's anybody knows what happened between the two of them because the parents blabbed, which also keep it to yourselves. I know. I know. We have both parents just completely betraying their children in the in the broader service of slut shaming them, but right because of how uh, you know gender works. Archie's like a hero amongst the boys, and I mean Betty isn't getting a lot of social sanctions at school. Is she, like is it? Well, no, she well Betty just, just from the principal from the principal. But I think I mean Betty peer wise is fine because obviously we're in like Veronica would never would never slut shame her even in 1955 no. you know and no of and course not Cheryl isn't either but Cheryl is is clearly just like Cheryl's still got a lot going on she's just really she spent the whole episode just looking like scared and sad um in, in this episode which again I'm like I want I want a free Cheryl I want free queer Cheryl but I guess we're we're gonna get there but Cheryl does kind of judge her a little bit and especially once we get to Riverdale bands. Right, right. So so Betty So she does kind of judge. Betty her. gets kind of banished to do so that she doesn't get all horny after school. She has to go to Riverdale Bandstand, which is a live, very uh uh, you know, hairspray style, um, televised, like live dance. Like American show. bandstand. Right. Except these teenagers have to dance for three hours a day. Three hours a day. Can you no, wait, I of course she's has no time and no like energy left to be horny. I can't dance for three hours every day. I mean, unless you're like a dancer and then you're used to it. I can't. That is a good line though from Alice. We, Alice Cooper says, We've got to get you all tuckered out so that you don't have the energy for your midnight shows. <laughs> your midnight <laughs> show. This is pretty good. So, so Betty just spends this entire episode also being sad. She is so sad that she has been shoehorned into uh you know this like her parents think she's slutty and she has to go hang out with all and she hates everyone and yeah Cheryl is being really Cheryl is being judgy towards Betty but you know it's just because Cheryl's so scared of sexuality yes, also and her own sexuality and her own sexuality yeah so that's kind of the the Betty Betty's on like a personal vindication quest in yes, this episode. Yes, she certainly is. So that's why she tries. So she's being forced to do Riverdale Bandstand. And then she, she's like, fine, then I'll dance with somebody. So she starts dancing with some dude, some nameless dude. And he essentially is like, yeah, I hear you liked it. Like he makes an unwanted advance, right. grabs her ass without consent. So Betty slaps him in the face on live, on television, live television, which good for her. I was like, yes, slap him in the face. And of course that just upsets her parents even further. So they're like, okay, fine. You have to do Riverdale bandstand, but no one's allowed to dance with you anymore. So that means she just has to sit there like a loser, like a Dilton door. <laughs> Doily sitting in the bandstand waiting for no one to ask her to dance. And what 
is a girl to do? And I can't remember if we mentioned that the host of American Bandstand is serial killer Hal, Hal Cooper, Cooper, who we are we are yet to find out if he is a serial killer in this timeline or not. I'll tell you, that actor must be so happy to be back. Oh, yeah, I bet. Or, I mean, I, I guess it really just depends. It depends on, <laughs> on maybe he loved that he was a serial killer and maybe he's begging for the serial killer part to come back. He's like, you guys did real weird shit with my plot line a couple years ago. Of course I'll come back. Of course. Uh, please, I'm coming back. So what ends up happening with Betty is that she, so they're doing like a girls only dance. And even though she's not supposed to, she it's called the twirl. She's like, I'm going to go up and I'm going to show them. And she gets up. Oh my God, this is a great, great fucking moment. moment. She gets up to do the twirl and she's wearing bum, 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 red panties. <laughs> and she's twirling so hard we can see her panties. It took me like, I was completely sober while I watched this. And it took me like, I literally rewound it. I was like, what is it that I'm supposed to be scandalized about? And then I was like, oh, we can see her underwear. And then I was like, what? The, uh, I guess the other girls were probably wearing like thick stockings. And you yes, can't, you can't see, see their anything. Underwear. Yeah. And so Betty, ever the dark Betty. You can't take the dark Betty out of dark No, Betty. dark Betty's in there, man. You can send her to 1955, but she's still dark on the inside. And so she's like, I'll show them my underwear. And it is an incredibly satisfying moment because... Hal and Alice Cooper, who host the show, freak out on live TV and like run over and are like, no, not a panties. <laughs> and so, you know, again, we haven't really had the the free, freeing and vindication yet of Cheryl and of Kevin. We got Cheryl a little bit last episode when she kind of like finally admitted her love for TT and stuff. But we're slowly seeing the emergence of the like the real selves of all of the the Riverdale characters and of like the fire in them where it's coming out. And, and this was Betty's moment to be like, I'm not going to be like the nice bitch anymore. I'm going to be the bitch who shows her underwear on live TV. And she nailed it. Yes, she did. She did a great job. I so like her. Fighting Archie back. nailed it. Betty, Betty nailed, nailed it. it. Both of those two people nailed it. Now, shall we do Jughead or Veronica? Veronica, I think. Well, so we've got some. Uh, we've got some great Riverdale theories that I would love to get to. Some um, fan written in theories that are about Brad Rayberry. So <laughs> I'd like to hold that off for last. Let's get through because Veronica. I see. This is the first time this season that I've really rolled my eyes at Veronica, and I was like, "Well, don't worry. No matter what timeline she's in." Veronica has to own a business of some sort <laughs> as a minor. Like this definitely made like outside of the Nicole Kidman ref. Um, I really rolled my eyes at this Veronica part. And I think that's why I felt so like, oh, come on. We're going back to this. That's come the, on, it, guys. It's just always the least interesting thing about Veronica. Like the thing that her owning like the speakeasy did was make her this like it gave her like social status because she was this like, you know, venue owner basically in the world of teens and whatever. But I just feel like her being like an entrepreneur or whatever is the least interesting thing about her. Like I get that she's like the confident one and the, the child of movie stars or whatever the fucking, but like, and the worldly <laughs> one. But it's so annoying that in this episode, her plot line is just like, the movie theater is going to be turned into a parking lot by my parents. We'll all sell a Edward Hopper painting and buy the movie theater. It's just like, I don't know. I just want, I guess I want more 
less business and more like interpersonal drama from Veronica. I know, but she is the she wolf of Wall she Street. Is the and she I think wolf that that is what you can't, you can take the Veronica out of 2023, <laughs> but you can't put the wolf of, you can't take the she wolf out of the, the but you got it. <laughs> wow. Um, I do just want to just can't take very, the she wolf out of Wall Street. <laughs> Apes McNeil wrote in, and I just love uh, the Apes McNeil wrote in the subject line was not the AMC commercial, but Riverdale. Oh my God. But I loved their rant about just this quick rant about Veronica. Um, I just want to talk about how much I hate Veronica and absolutely don't trust her. I will never trust the fruit of Hiram's loins. And I am convinced that she called Betty and Archie's parents and she is the reason they were caught. How else would they both know at the exact same time? And when Betty got rejected by Archie, she smiled. She's a snake just like her dad. Mm. I'm convinced every single mm-hmm. thing her character has ever done has been in her own self-interest. That's and true. I don't like her at all. And thank you, Abe McNeil. <laughs> That's true true though yes you know and this is the thing about veronica you never know if she's a hero or a villain and and i i've just hearing that as making me realize like yeah that's why i feel like i never i'm so ambivalent about veronica because i'm like i feel like she kind of sucks and then hearing that i'm like oh is she supposed to suck like maybe she's supposed to suck you know maybe she actually is supposed to be kind of a villain i mean i think she is i feel like she's present yeah, I guess so. I just always she's presented to us as, you know, as one of the mains. And I always think of like her still on the hero side and where it's like Cheryl still on the villain side. But honestly, I trust Cheryl more than Veronica. Me too. But you know what? She is a little she's a little, you know, snaky. They're both a little snaky. But you know what? They're complex. Yeah, they're, that's what it is. Yeah. I Well, I don't know if anyone's ever called Veronica complex. Yeah, that's before. the thing. Veronica is de- usually that complex. But <laughs> In the world of Riverdale, yeah. she's complex. No, you're right. You know? You're we'll right. Give her that. We'll, but thank you, Apes McNeil, for that writing is, in your rant about that's that. Very, because, um, that's a very good rant. That really crystallizes some of the feel, some of my feelings about, about Veronica, which is, yeah, like, you cannot trust that bitch. Like, she's a she-wolf of Wall Street, and truly, she has always bended her, bent her ideals to please her father. And that's, I think that's the other thing about Veronica right now. Like, who is Veronica without Hiram? Like, she's just not, we just, we need Hiram. Yes. Like, you can't really have the entirety of Veronica, whose entire character has always been in reaction to, like, the ultimate villain, who was Hiram, and now Hiram's gone, so it kind of leaves Veronica kind of bouncing around like an air hockey puck, you Yeah, because now she's going to own a movie theater, all right, she's going to do, <laughs> she, we're getting her into that, and, like, uh, hopefully she turns it into a casino or some sort of brothel or something, <laughs> you know, because it can't, just a movie theater? I mean, I, I appreciate, again, the Nicole Kidman AMC reference, I give you, I give you a hand clap, I was reading a review of the episode that was just like oh yeah that nicole kidman whatever from a couple of years ago and i was like excuse me as someone goes to the movie i go to the movies at least once a week i see this commercial at least once a week it is alive and well and in almost (laughs) every single theater we go to and i don't know i don't think that this is everywhere it's probably just in los angeles people at least one person goes "Woo, yeah (laughs) whenever the episode comes on every single time and it's not me (laughs) 
So I just want to say thank you, Riverdale, for giving us a great nod. And she looked amazing in it. I, I mean, immediately understood what was going on. And I just want to say thank you. And it was like word for word in some parts, right? It, like was, it's, it was almost word for word. It was yeah. like very like they just kind of like like switched some words around, which was pretty great. That was cute. Yeah. So that's Veronica's thing. She's going to be an entrepreneur again. And of course, Jughead is back on his bullshit, which is trying to drop out of school to become a professional comic book writer. Yes. But only because he's being forced out because, okay, why are there two principals who look exactly the same? I don't know. They both look like turtle men. <laughs> I don't know why they are like, I like one is a doctor. There's Werther's and then there's the principal. Okay. So I feel like Werther's is like the seedy underbelly. Like, um, you know, like the guy in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory uh-huh. that like that comes around like trying to talk to all the kids and get them all corrupted. Uh-huh. Like maybe he's the opposite of that, I guess. <laughs> but um, they do both look like turtles, do they not? They look exactly this. Like I can't tell. To, I didn't really register with me until this episode. It's like, who the fuck is that other guy? Um, but they are threatening Jughead that um, the only way he can stay in school by the way, I'm pretty sure as Ray Bradbury or Bra- Brad Rayberry said, this is all illegal, but they said the only way he can stay in school is if he stops writing the horror comics because it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. It's, it's, it may as well be pornography video books. And they're very upset about this. Now, I, the entire time, Jeff was very upset because he's like, just write under a different name. I don't understand. Why is it so difficult to get to? <laughs> well, why why are we leading up to this? It just took why about is 40 like, minutes for Jughead to get there. It did. <laughs> it took so long just right under a different name because they're like, you're going to get kicked out of school if you don't stop writing these comic books. He's like, oh, I really want to write comic books. And it did take the entire episode for Brad Rayberry to be like, why don't you just write under a different name? Because we see in this episode that Brad Rayberry is becoming a mentor of sorts to Jughead. In fact, to the point that he goes into the school to Principal Featherhead and to Dr. Werther's and is like, do you really want a lawsuit on your hands? Because I will like, I will as his mentor help him like start a lawsuit against the Board of Education because you won't allow him to do whatever he wants outside of school that is not hurting other people and is just a freedom of speech. Especially because he is now writing for what is it called? Like Slappy the Duck. Yeah. Instead of writing horror books. Now, I've got some great fan theories okay. that I needed. I I can't not read them on the show. Okay. Now, this Courtney, I just want to say thank you because Courtney made me realize a couple of things, and you will find out why. I have a theory on where the whole Brad Rayberry storyline is going. Please. I think it is there to parallel the storyline where Jughead's grandfather wrote those Baxter Brothers books and Francis DuPont stole them. The actor who played Francis DuPont is now playing the school psychologist, Dr. Werther's. So maybe in the course of working through the Brad Rayberry plagiarism thing and interacting with Dr. Werther's about the comic books, Jughead will start to remember their lives (gasps) from before. Now this, I also don't know if this has anything to do with it, but Courtney, thank you for bringing it up. The actor who played the warden from the season where Archie was in juvenile detention facility and was fighting in an underground fighting ring against Mad Dog is is Principal Featherhead. I knew I had seen both of these men before. Yes. So 
with that. Uh, so with that. Uh, and I just want to say also, Courtney, thank you for reminding us from where I mean, I, I knew that they were from something yes. in Riverdale. I just couldn't put my fingers on it. Uh, and thank you so much. Thank God for listeners who write in with this stuff because my brain synapses are just not firing at the level where I can like make this map all make sense. But of course, see these bastards at Riverdale, they know what they're doing. Sometimes I think they don't, but they do. Oh, they definitely and do. Now they're gonna they're about to tie up so many fucking knots this season. Yes, and I'm so ready for it. Now Brady also writes in um and says this is another according about the Brad Rayberry storyline. Uh-huh. So they were su- surprisingly struck by how boring the Brad Rayberry storyline is relative to the other horny and consequential character plots. Yes, agreed. After, agreed. After listening to you both discuss why they would be interjecting this ho-hum side thread, I now think that Brad Rayberry's science fiction writing might somehow unlock <gasps> Jughead's memory that the whole crew is actually from the future ah! and transported back in time by the Angel of Riverdale tab of the oh tape. It could be in reference to Ray Bradbury's story, A Sound of Thunder, I remember this one, where time-traveling dino hunters go back in time and fuck up the present by stepping on a Butterfly. Maybe Tabitha sent the crew back to the 50s to have their modern sensibilities slightly thrown off the course of things to preclude the appearance of Percival. I know it's a dirty word. <laughs> Serial killer Hal, the trash bag killer, the organ harvesting oh cult, the Sisters of Quiet Mercy, the incest woods murders, or the gangs of homeless orphans from ever appearing in current day <laughs> Riverdale. Great summary, by the way. Not sure how they'd stop the apocalyptic Bailey's comment, but that's for the writer's room to figure out, not me. Whoa. Brady. Wow. Oh, my God. You guys are like this week. The theories are just like made me go like, I bet that's Thank God. First of all, thank God for these theories again, because they are just making the connections where I am. Like I've said, I watch Riverdale like. A newborn baby. It just comes right into my head. I receive it as stimuli and then it goes right out of my head. And I don't, I'm, I, until we are recording, I struggle to synthesize my thoughts and I've never been good at predicting what comes next and, or at trying to, you know, construct these theories to make sense of what is happening now. And this makes so much sense. Of course, they're going to have it be a sci fi you know story that help that awakens Jughead like that's so that's so good oh I'm excited now <laughs> like what comes next of course he's a science fiction writer of course this is gonna like spring something inside of Jughead that's oh you guys are so smart oh my god thank you so much for giving us the puzzle piece that we need and this was also needed especially for this episode because this was more of like a a laying track episode like it wasn't especially horny um it wasn't you know it wasn't the, the my favorite episode of the season so far but i can tell that they're laying some groundwork they're obviously setting up you know they're, they're investing further in kevin and i i hope that whatever they're going to do with this plot line and all of the homophobia and stuff i hope that they really deliver something some great liberation for him bring me back sexy daddy sheriff keller because he was gone in this episode but you know what and i hated it so much because he looked so good i was gonna say he did look was, good he looked so good sad bad homophobic dad sitting in a dark room uh, late at night scolding his whiskey. son yeah he was he was looking good but we we don't stand well, him we anymore cannot. Nope, we can't we stand him right now we won't but 
I'll stand the uh, actor all the one in the old <laughs> noggin, I tell you what. Um, and I do want to give one last shout out just real quick because I need you to know that MJ and I almost burst into tears, Danielle, when you wrote in and told us that the costume department from Riverdale listens because I just want to give a shout out to the nine sassy ladies and Paul who are sewing up a storm every day because they look, and if there is one thing uh, that has been flawless since the beginning 100%. of time, it is the looks Always. on Riverdale. Always. It is been, like my favorite character that we don't get to talk about is the looks on Riverdale. Truly. Because you bring the horny, you bring the personality, and you guys just knock it out of the park, no matter what ridiculous plot line is going on. And thank you guys so much for telling us. Ah! I know we both we both started screaming and also, it's just so perfect that, like, the costume department, I mean, what a victory lap for them in this season, because the costumes, oh my looks, God. the costumes, like you said, have always looked good. It's all the world building of Riverdale. I think that's what keeps us coming back, because just the aesthetic of it, the lighting, the set design, the costumes has always looked so good. And then to have this victory lap of having it be like, and it's the fucking 50s, so everyone's wearing cool oh, shit. Even better. So oh my God. Fun. Oh man, I, I left this episode not really knowing what to say and now with these theories I'm so excited this we got absolutely we got sci-fi coming to save us we certainly do and thank you guys so much for joining us sorry about the lateness don't worry but it's because we're coming to kiss you in person <laughs> and we'll see you guys hopefully in your own town soon and it was wonderful to meet as many people as we got to meet last week and um, don't worry we're back to our regular schedule <laughs> programming um, at least for the next month before we go back on tour for a week so we love you guys and we'll talk to you next week bye everybody this show is made possible by listeners like you thanks to our ad sponsors you can support our shows by supporting them for more shows like the one you just listened to go to lastpodcastnetwork.com 